Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Romans 3, 19 and 20. I'm going to try to be quick, like hopefully. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I want to preach to you for just a little bit this morning on the necessity of salvation. You must be born again. We who've been in the church a long time and and have been filled with the Spirit, baptized in His name, sometimes we forget how essential this work of God is. Not was, is. I'm going to approach this from a, from a direction you're probably not familiar with, and that I'm going to approach this from the Word of the Lord to use a lot of Scripture I'm going to read to you today about the absolute necessity that you need salvation. Ain't nobody good enough. Ain't nobody doing enough good works. You need the salvation of the Lord. Amen? Now, I'm sure as you stand here hearing this, you've, you've heard this with a pitchfork. That's, well, I hope so-and-so's listening to this. I want you to grab a hold of it for yourself this morning. So I'm asking you to pray for you right now. That the Lord will quicken in your mind and remind you of the essentiality and the necessity of an ongoing work of salvation in your life. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. We're so thankful for your hallowedness and sacredness among us today. We're thankful to be home among the body we love so much. We pray now, Lord, you'd quicken my tongue, speak through me, reach into the treasure of the heart of this man. Help me to preach quick. Let me do a quick work by the grace of God and minister powerfully through your anointing and quickening spirit to the hungry hearts in this room. We're asking for that in Jesus' name and for the glory of your kingdom. And we praise you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Lord. Say it again. Praise Praise God. Oh, the Lord is good, isn't he? Would you worship him together just one more time? I love you, Lord. I glorify you. How precious and wonderful are your ways to my soul. Thank you for saving. Thank you for continuing to work salvation in me. I glory in you, Jesus, and I praise you. Praise God. Find somebody, shake their hand. Let them know you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord this morning. The only person convinced, or let me put this another way, the only person who has a conviction, let me put it another way, the only person I know without a conviction in their their spirit about their own sin is a person without a conviction and an understanding of the holiness of God. The more you know Him, 
And the closer you draw near to Him, the light of His Word and His Spirit exposes your distance from Him. About the time you think you're oh so close to Him, He'll turn the light on and show you how far yet you are from Him. The only person who does not have that conviction in their heart is a person who does not understand the holiness of God. For He's a holy God. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, For in, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our faith in God exposes His righteousness, and that righteousness convicts our hearts of our own lack. Our own sin. We, 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 we use all kinds of words in the church to avoid the word sin. You know, after you're born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, repented of your sins, you think that word no longer is in your vocabulary. Man, how I wish that were true. Problem is, I deal with people. I deal with Holy Ghost-filled people. I deal with Jesus' name, baptized people. And I know there is still sin in your life. Maybe I should define sin for you for just a moment. Because you're going to help yourself when you learn to walk into prayer and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I made a mistake. Lord, 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 I got a little weakness here. That is you covering up. Best thing you can do is just throw your hands up and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I got a mess going on here and I created it. You're good. I'm bad. So let's get some things straightened out here. That's a great way to talk to Jesus. He kind of likes that up front. He already knows it, but you need to know it. So what is sin? Let's define it. I didn't intend to define it because I figured you're all experts on it, but let's get there quickly. So the Greek word for sin, as you know, the Greek language is a picture language. And so when you try to define things, you have to use pictures. So we, that's not English. Words, words mean things and they're not pictures necessarily. That's why we use so many words to clarify. And we like people who tell stories. So they bring clarity. So here's what sin is. Sin is a mark. It's a, it's a, it's a bull, bullseye. Well, there went that. That's sin, Brother Keith, right there. I jerked my ears off. Okay. So sin is the bullseye. Nice-sized bullseye. As you know, the center is the real bullseye. We're aiming for the center. You draw back, you make a choice, you make a decision. Sometimes you hit somewhere on the bullseye. That's within reason. The idea is to hit the red in the middle. That's rare. But most of the time we miss the target completely. Obedience to God, lack of obedience to God is completely missing the target. Obedience with a little bit of us in it is kind of hitting the target, but not the bullseye. Yielded, surrendered, complete yieldedness and obedience to the Lord is the bullseye. All right? So you got sin in your life. Are you with me? You've missed it. 
He told you to talk to the neighbor. He told you to talk to the Walmart cashier. He told you to say a word of encouragement to a brother, and you just thought in your head, oh, well, they won't hear me anyway. You missed the target. You sinned. Okay. Everybody clear now? All right, let's move on. It tells us that the righteousness of God reacts against sin. Let me go back. Take it back to Romans 1.17. Always great trouble for these people. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Right? I want you to recognize that sin is not something that God says, Oh, come on, it's all right. Nope. Mercy, thanks be to the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, mercy comes in. But I don't want you to think for one moment that God grabs sin by the lapel and says, we're okay for this guy. Romans 1.18, the next verse says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Your life lived to please you is a suppression of the truth. Your lack of obedience to the call and will of God, however small or how great, is a suppression of the truth. And God's wrath is against it. This is New Testament, people. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. His anger is, is revealed from heaven against any ungodliness and unrighteousness when men through unrighteousness suppress truth. That's not preachers. That's everybody. Your life lived is either telling the truth of God's word or it's telling a lie. Your, we, we use our mouths a lot. Problem is, it's cheap. What's your life saying? Does your life declare the truths of God or does your life declare your will and your way? Sin is when you don't declare this with your life, but rather you walk your own way to please yourself because you got an opinion about things. I was preaching there in Europe. Oh, God help me. Preaching in Europe, I have a deep, deep concern about Europe because I'm concerned that they're not word-driven. And I preached about the word, and I preached about the word, and I preached about the word the whole time I was there. Because I have a deep, deep deep-seated concern. Brothers and sisters, how can we obey this if we don't know this? Oh, you know oneness of God. You know baptism in Jesus' name. You know Holy Ghost talking in tongues. But do you know what character is as God is trying to form the divine character in you? Do you know His will in your life? Because He called you with purpose. He's anointed you with purpose. He's called you to a ministry, whatever that ministry may be. Are you fulfilling that in your life? Or are you living to please your financial goals and your economic, uh, your, your, your social goals and your career goals or are you living to satisfy the God who saved you with his own blood if you're falling short of that you're suppressing the truth with your life and that is sin and that reaps the wrath of God ungodliness is a lack of reverence for God ungodliness is a lack of reverence for we become so familiar we come so often that this can become casual i'm not talking about dress i'm talking about spirit 
And casualness has no place when we encounter the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Casualness has no place when we are servants and ambassadors of a king who rules the world and has sent us on mission to represent him to the world. How well are you representing him in the world? I can't answer that for you. That's your problem. God's wrath is not rage. God's wrath is not a loss of temper. That's not what his rage is. It's not what his wrath is. But it is his righteous indignation against sin. He hates sin. He hates sin. How do you know that, Pastor? How do you know how much? Look at what he did to mediate for sin. He robed himself in flesh. He came to dwell among men and he died and crucified life. The most horrific death you could possibly die. That's how much he hates sin. He hates it. He hates it enough to die for it. All right? And so he's, he, he's not, he doesn't blow up and lose his temper. He has a righteous indignation. The conclusion is this. No person, either Jew or Gentile, is without sin. Hope I've convinced you of that this morning. In these first opening moments, you've got to admit with the Apostle Paul, I am a sinner. You came to the house of the Lord today to deal with your lack. Right? And to help some other people deal with their lack. Right? Sadly, some just came to go make sure they get the check mark. I went to church on Sunday. You're a sinner. Even with you came with the right spirit and the right attitude, he's working on you. He's forming you. He's making you. I'm so glad I sang this song two or three times over in, over in Scotland. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the sun, the moon, the earth, stars, Jupiter, and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Brothers and sisters, hear me. You need to thank God that he's working on you. My mother used to tell me years ago, growing up as a boy, she said, Andrew, if the Lord lets you get by with sin, he does not love you. The love of God will expose your sin. The love of God will call you to repentance. The love of God will say, oh no, you don't quit now. Because He loves you. That's love. Romans 3.23 says, for all of sin... Would you, would you read that verse with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm going to ask you to change Scripture. Now, you know this is rare for me. But I'm going to ask you to change Scripture. And I'm going to ask you to put the word I where the word all is. Would you join me with, with a truthful declaration that we often don't want to say? For I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Pastor, I've been in this for 50 years. Would you say it with me again? For I have sinned and fallen short of the... You know what the hardest job it is for a pastor sometimes? Is to unsave people. 
before we never get you saved. You've bought a bunch of folklore that says you're a-okay because you don't, you dress right, you talk right, you spit white. Bless God. And you may be more lost than an alcoholic falling in the streets of the city of Bloomington. The most dangerous thing you can have going on in your life is a blindness to the voice of God that's trying to shape God in you. I'm not talking about the divinity of God. I'm talking about the character of God. You with me? All right. No one in, in judgment can say, I didn't sin. I'm good enough to go to heaven. I promise you, if you make it to the gates of that city, and whether it's, you know, I know the gate, I know the city has gates. I don't know if the judgment seat's inside the gate, outside the gate, on another cloud, a few clouds over. We don't have a clue. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to stand there that day when you see people walk up and have their judgment moment. You're not going to walk up and say, so glad you got the doors open for me. When he turns on that LCD screen he's got and begins to show you your life that you thought was in secret. You're going to hope at the end of the story there's some blood. Because there won't be a single person who stands before the Lord and says, about time you noticed, where's my mansion? We sing some songs about... Can't wait to get my mansion. I'm glad for those songs. I, I join in singing those songs, and I don't like the one that says, build me a cabin in the corner. I don't want a cabin in the corner. If I get a cabin in the corner, you'll be, I'll be happy to be there. But I just want whatever he's got going on. All right? But I'm going to tell you, when you stand before the Lord, you won't be saying, so glad you finally figured out I'm the guy that deserves to be here. None of us are worth. You're not going to be able to stand before him and say, I'm so good, I deserve to go. Oh, no. Nobody's going to be able to say that. What you're going to say, we know this from the word of the Lord, what you're going to say when the story gets done being poured out, and then he washes your life with his blood in front of your very eyes, you're going to say, thank you, Jesus, for the work you've done. Thank you, Father, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me. Thank you, Lord, for making a way that I could come out of this and be free from sin and delivered by the power of your grace. I'm not worth Worthy, but thank you for setting me free and putting me in your kingdom and in your church. Hallelujah. Nobody's right. Romans 3.19, I'm reading from New Living Translation, says obviously the law applies to those whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. Do you hear what the Bible is saying? The Bible is saying the reason there was a law written is so you wouldn't have an excuse. And to show that the entire world is guilty before God. You're guilty. For no one can ever be made with, right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I've told you numerous times and I tell you again. All the law does is says you're a sinner. Look at the list. You're a sinner. Look at the list. You're a sinner. Look at the list. It doesn't offer any hope. Offers no way out. 
bring another cow, slaughter it here, let its blood, bring a goat, let's kill it. Bring dogs, let's wring their necks and pour their blood out. Gag, gross. You're a sinner. I don't care how many goats you kill, you're a sinner. That's what the law does. And I'm thankful for the law. Hear me tonight, today. Let me tell you this. If it weren't for the law, none of you would repent of your sins. The law says this is what pleases God and you don't do it. The law says this is what makes God happy and you fall short of it. The law is needful to point us to Jesus Christ. In fact, the great writer Paul at one point says the law was a schoolmaster to us. To teach us our need for Christ and his work. Well, I, you know, I've been, I, th- I think I obey the church rules. Buddy, you, you, you messed up in the head. This supersedes the church rules by a million miles. They're in the church that got enough rules on the book to, keep, to meet what this says. So quit living by the rules of the church. Don't quit living by them. Live above them. Live greater than them. The rules of the church are the minimal end. That's, that's for the new, new guys walking in the door. That's for the, the low end level. I'm so disappointed that so many Christians who are born again after 50 years, 30 years, 20 years are still living by the minimal rules of the church. That should, lo- man, if I just lived with my wife because of the vows we made, we probably wouldn't be married. Love carries you into other things. There's no, there's no vow that says open the door for her. But I do it. Because it works good for me. <laughs> There's no rules, hallmark, or none that says you got to buy flowers on Valentine's Day. Or on a, any old occasion. But it works good for me. You with me? Some of you are still living by the vows. Well, bless God, it don't say this and it does say this. Get over it, brothers and sisters. Live in love. Let love draw you into the deep places of relationship. Let love constrain your life. Let love become the rule of your life where it limits you because you're in love with him. Others may. I can't. I love him. (laughs) I'm just so in love with him. Brother, you want to do this? I don't have any problem with it. but I just, I can't. Well, you're sticking the mud. I know. I'm sorry. But I kind of love Jesus. You mean we don't love Jesus? Oh, no, I'm not saying that. That's you and Jesus. It's just he and I got a thing going. And I know I want to keep it precious. You with me? Paul in Romans 1 verses 18 through chapter 2 and verse 16 showed what is the true case of the Gentiles who did not have the law of Moses, right? Sometimes we diminish them. They don't have the law of Moses. And so Romans chapter 2 verses 17 through 3-8 prove what the Jews' issues are. And this is why I'm trying to prove to you today that you need the salvation that Jesus Christ wrought. Okay? We're Gentiles. Most of us in the room, maybe there's a Jew or two, I don't know. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. And I want you to recognize that from Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through Romans chapter 2 verse 16, what the Apostle Paul is writing is to declare to us, I don't care if you never had a Bible. You've got every reason to surrender to Christ. I don't care if you ever touched a book called the law. You've got every reason to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. You recognize, you are taught in your spirit already that he is real and that he rules and that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Your spirit already declares to you that I need to be right with God. Why do you think the world hates the church? Have you ever wondered why? Let, Let me put it to you like this. If you don't matter in my life, you don't matter. 
If you get on Facebook and trash me, I can, and I look at the source, I'm like, whoop-dee-doo, let's go on down the road. But if my wife gets on Facebook and trashes me, we're going to have problems. And, and, and I don't think we'll have the problems you think we'll have. I'll be defeated. I'll be diminished. I value what she thinks of me. Right? She lives with me. And it matters to me what she thinks. You with me? So if my wife said he's a loser, he's a no good for nothing man, you guys should, I can't believe anybody follows that man. Dear Jesus, have mercy. And you'd also believe her. I'd have to get up and do a whole lot of preaching against her. You with me? You still with me? I'm trying to prove something to you. So why does the world even care about the church? Why do they throw such anger our way? Because in their hearts, they know. In their hearts, they know. And they struggle with the fact that we keep representing him in the world. And they wish we'd go away. What they don't know is, there's coming a day when we will go away. But the problem is, their conviction will not depart with us. Because conviction comes by the sheer fact you were born in the world. And when you came into the world, there was a God consciousness that got put in you when you began to breathe. You immediately became aware there was a God. You became aware there was a superior force that you were accountable to and that you must answer to. And the last thing the world wants to do is be accountable to that force. Their problem with us is that they've got conviction going on in their heart. So they rail against us in an attempt to silence the voice in their spirit suicides galore right now why it's attempting to silence the voice of the of god drawing them calling them beckoning to them to come away from their sin and come to him and rather than surrender rather than come clean rather than yield themselves they'd rather die than be right hear me i'm not i'm not diminishing suicide but it is an internal war and the war is with being right You were formed. You don't even need a Bible to know when you're wrong. Thank God he gave us one. But you don't even need a word. Why do certain populations in sin in the world hate the church viciously? Because of conviction in their hearts. You with me? Hear me. Number one, God's given us sufficient light. God has given us light. You with me? God has given us light without the word. They have inner light of a consciousness which the creator has given for every person. Romans 1.19. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. The truth of God is obvious. You don't have to have somebody form that for you. It's obvious. Also look at John 1.9. The true light which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. When Christ came, he gave light to everybody. Everybody has light that says, I need to be right with God. Everybody. How you go about that, that's another story. But everybody recognizes I'm not right and I need to be made right. The Gentiles did not have the law of Moses and the prophets, as did the Jews. But they did have an inner light 
They had a voice. They had that inner conscience that God put in them. Every person the creator has ever allowed to live in the world, he's put in them an understanding. I need God. Sometimes you people are trying to, you're you're, you're attempting to try to make people something that they already are. They already are this. They already understand some things. You just need to take them from where they're at and bring them to him. The creator puts a desire in us to be right with God. And it's formed in the beginning, which indicates that God is holy and that everybody ought to be right with him. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, listen to the word of the Lord, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Do you hear? This is this is the this is the construct of what I'm preaching to you today. You're born with this on that day when the when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Hear me. This is already present in all men everywhere. Romans Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 lets us know that the outer light of God's revelation is is in nature. In the world we see this is an ongoing revelation. When you walk out in the world and you look at the beautiful lake and you see the forest and you see the trees and and you're amazed by this and you're you're just, oh, it causes an awe to come over your spirit. That awe is God. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Even nature is screaming, There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. I don't care how. Why do you think the atheistic doctrine is being proposed so heavily in our hour? They're trying to negate the voice inside. Hear me. It's not about science. It's about trying to shut down a voice that's crying out to them that there is a God there is a God even nature tells you there's somebody who's in charge of all of this I just don't want to be right with him that's the real war the war is not listen if you're an atheist in the room God bless you you've got more faith than I do hear me I'd like to pray you through to the Holy Ghost because buddy you got lots of faith to believe in atheist to, to believe there is no God is pretty phenomenal. What a believer you are. You just misplaced. So they had all this light. We have all this light. The light is all around us. And yet we sin against the light. Even with the word, even without the word, we know what is right to do. We know how to treat our fellow man. It's the aberrant situation, and there may be few and far between, but it's the aberrant situation that does not know what to do. It's right. Most of us know. In Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 32, it lists the sins that began to show themselves in the lives of those who disregard God. It talks about ingratitude. It talks about idolatry. It talks about homosexuality. And all kinds of actions that are not fitting. Women not having proper uh, 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 relations with women. And men not having proper relations with men. Affections being deviant. That's Romans chapter 1. You ought to read it. It will tell you what happens even without the law. 
what happens to humans when we avoid God and try to get Him out of our life. This is why we see the rise of, of sin in our hour, because we're trying to remove God from the picture. Am I still doing okay? Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, which is the conclusion of this dialogue. Oh, you ought to go home today and read chapter 1 of Romans. Read it from a version that makes sense. But hear me, the verse 32 brings the whole thing to conclusion. Romans 1.32 says this, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Be careful. Oh, I'd never do that, but do you approve of it? Be careful. Be careful. I don't say be an ignorant person. I don't say be a jerk. But don't you condone sin because of who's doing it. Well, you just don't know. Yeah, what I do know is the law says it's sin. What I do know is God's word says it's it's against nature. What I do know is homosexuality is against the very things God created us to be. He said, be fruitful. You can't be fruitful in that kind of relationship. And if you're homosexual here today, I want you to know we love you. I I love you from the heart. We want to walk with you as you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and come out of that sin. We will not tear you down. But I want you to know the word from beginning to end is clear. Anything unnatural that does not produce the will of God is contrary to God. If I have sex with a dog, it's contrary to God. You with me? Anything that does not produce the will of God. And what is the will of God? The, the, the fruitfulness and productivity. I know, I'm aware, I'm not a dingbat that some people because of genetic issues are unable to reproduce. That's between you and God. But you must seek to obey. And in that case, have fun doing it. John chapter 3. I'm sorry, that, that, that was real carnal right there. John chapter 3, verse 18. Although we celebrate marriage here, we, we thank God. Writer of Hebrews said the marriage bed is undefiled. Whew. I hate giving caveats to some stuff, but anyway, John chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You deal with condemnation in your life? Quit believing yourself. Start believing him. Oh, I'm just, I feel just so convicted. So, well, what are you doing? Start doing what he told you to do and the conviction will go. Okay, continue to read. He that believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their work should be exposed. I represent light. It's amazing when people aren't doing right, how they avoid me. I'm not Jesus. But I represent light. And you don't want to come to the light. I'd call somebody on the phone and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Immediately there's huge fear. (laughs) Or there's great joy. Depending on where you're living in the light. I may want to talk to you about coming over and fixing a toilet at my house, but that may not be what you think I'm going to talk to you about. Right? If I say your name across the pulpit, 
Even though I would never say your name across the pulpit, I want to meet, to meet with you about a bad deal. Sister Corinne will call you on that. <laughs> but if I just say your name, oh God. Right? You with me? When you're living in the light, call my name. I'm coming. Because I'm living in all the light I know to live in. If I come in and you seek to correct me, Lord, then I'm willing to be corrected because I know there's a lot of light I'm not yet knowing or living in. So teach me your ways. But if you're not living in the light, you know, you're going to have trouble when he calls your name. For everyone who does the wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest their work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When you're doing what's right, when you're living what's right, when you're walking what's, what's right, you don't mind your life being exposed. It's when you're not doing what's right that you try to hide it all. Hiding is not a good thing. Now, I, I don't want to be too, there's a fine balance. There's some things that need to be kept secret. Your whole world doesn't need to be exposed for the world to see. But most of your life, the world can see. You with me? Okay, moving on. So here's what happens sometimes. i got to hurry. I meant to preach short. Here's what happens. So I've watched this so much as a pastor. When, when you commit sin and you get God exposes you, which is his grace and mercy and goodness and love and long-suffering all at the same time, exposes you. Some, he starts by exposing you to you. He'll deal with you through the word. He'll deal with you through the preaching of the word. Actually, that, that's, that's way down the road. He'll deal with you, you. He'll face you. You'll be in prayer. Before you ever get to prayer, you'll feel, oh, I know I wasn't right what I was doing, but you know what? They did something to me, so bless God. We always excuse ourselves. We come up with excuses. Excuses are just a covering up a lie. And if we don't come clean, God will begin to work some more if he loves you. If he doesn't love you, he's going to let you go. I'm being honest with you. He's going to let you go. God doesn't love trouble any more than you do. If you don't love him and seek to follow him, Die in your sins. But if he loves you, you'll come to church one Sunday morning and I'll preach a message that literally has your name written on it. And you'll think I've been talking to people in the church. I have been talking to people in the church. I'll tell you what it was. I was talking to the Lord inside this building. And he gave me a word. And what's beautiful, why, why I love what happens in the audience is, is so beautiful. I'm preaching one thing and the Holy Ghost is saying something else. I've had numerous people come up to me after I preached. happened just recently over in Scotland. I preached a word and a woman walked up to me after so She said, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you saying this, 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 and this. I'm st-. It wasn't in my notes. I had no intention of going there. It wasn't even the direction I went. But the Holy Ghost is dealing with her. And then she looked at me. She said, four years ago, you preached a message here about this, this, and this. And you said this, this, and this. You know what? As she's telling me, it's a revelation to me. I never heard it before in my life. I start, I, I just didn't back in my head. I'm taking notes. I'm serious. I thought, holy smoke, that'll preach good. How about, about Stephen when he was stoned to death? And she's talking about the stones. And I thought, man, that, ooh, that's good stuff. She thought I said it. It's the Holy Ghost. 
As long as I stay tuned into him, he'll work on you in ways that only he can work on. If I'll just deliver what he put in my spirit, he'll get you. All right? So what happens? You come to church and all of a sudden the preacher's dealing with you. That's a good time to run to the altar and get it right. That's a good time to confess and say, Lord, you got me now. You got the preacher on my tail. Now it's time to get it right. If you don't get it right then and he still loves you, he's going to embarrass you. He's going to make it blow up so big everybody sees it. And then you've got choice. Repent or reject. And I've watched both. But I've also watched two reactions even in the repentant. I laid all that to get to this point. I've watched people who've repented of their sins, Brother Josh, when they got exposed by the Lord and get harder towards others who do the same thing. I've watched other people repent and become tender toward them. Is my mother-in-law in the room? Can I use you for just a minute? That's real carnal. It's a real carnal use, so I'm not exposing you for anything other than everybody, everybody already knows. <laughs> my mother-in-law was a smoker years and years ago. God delivered her absolutely at deliverance from the Lord. Set her free. Filled her with the Holy Ghost. Delivered from that smoking thing. You, would, you wouldn't know it today, would you? You'd never guess she was a... How many packs a day did you smoke? Almost three packs a day. You don't think God can't do a great work? Is that beautiful? So I never smoked. I've never smoked. And back in the day, they used to have restaurants that had smoking section and non-smoking section. Well, I'm old enough that when I first started dating my wife and marrying her, those, those kind of restaurants were still around. We would go into a restaurant and they would ask us, what section would you like to sit in? And I would be with my in-laws. And my mother-in-law would speak up and say, non-smoking and as far away from smoking as we can get. Because for her, it is a bigger issue than it is for me. You with me? Her experience has brought a reaction in her to it. Everybody with me? So here, and I'm not saying she's being merciful or judgmental. I'm just telling you, that's what happens to us. We respond one way or the other. And here's the kicker. I've watched people who've been caught in their sin and God exposed them. They get right. They either get merciful or they get harder. They see that in other people. You know, I've been a very sinful man. And so it makes me humble and, and, and say, oh my God, there go I but for the grace of God. He delivered me. He set me free. I got all kinds of thoughts that have gone through my head. I'm just going to be real honest. Oh, dear Jesus, here we go worldwide. I've even held some of them in my head and thought about them for a while. Which the Bible tells me that's sin. And I got to go deal with that. You with me? I know none of you have ever done this stuff that I'm preaching about. I'm just, just preaching to preach. So here's what happens. We see somebody who's done something wrong, and we, we've got it in our own life. But you know what happens? We'll condemn them in the cover-up of us. And think ourselves, oh, so righteous. Bless God, that's ungodly. I can't believe they're doing that. Meanwhile, it's your major reactions because it's in you. It's in you. You want to find out what you, what, what, what you still are dealing with in your life? Watch what, how you respond to other people who've been involved in situations that are a weakness for you. Okay? So, so we all of a sudden get this idea that if I condemn them, I'm okay. Bless God, we're going to make a stand here. We don't allow that in our house. 
I can't believe anybody let them do that in their house. Be careful. Oh, you need to make a stand, but what spirit are you making the stand in? Here we go. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. I just told you, I've taken you on a roller coaster ride through chapter 1. This is chapter 2. After all this stuff is going on, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So you, in an attempt to cover up your own sin, will point your finger at everybody else's sin. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. You better go to God. Galatians chapter 6 says, 6 and 1 says, Ye who which are spiritual, restore such and one, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Be careful how you deal with the sinner. Don't, it shouldn't be this. It should be, ah, how can I walk with you to Jesus? It happens in churches that we get so holy, we get so self-righteous that somebody does something wrong in the church and boy, all of a sudden we got an overreaction like, my God, I hope they don't ever show up around here. If they walk in here, I wouldn't shake their hand. You devil incarnate. You got things going on. Yeah, you do. That's why you're overreacting. I don't want to ruin a good message. (laughs) Some people overreact to standards in the church because they see other people doing what they want to do. So they jump the gun because that person's getting by and they're not. Your problem is you, not them. Don't think yourself self, don't think yourself righteous because you're judging that person who you think's violating the rules. You're judging them because you got problems. And he says, he knows. All right? Those who know enough to condemn the sins of others have established the basis of judgment on they they, they establish it on the will of God. And they, they seek to judge it. Bless God. The, I'm telling you, the Bible says, really? Next time somebody comes to me and says the Bible says that, I'm gonna say, would you show it to me? Well, if you're going to say the Bible says, then you better know your book. Well, that was good. (laughs) If you know that actions are sin for others, you also know they're sin for yourself. Others' badness does not excuse your badness. God will judge you according to truth. So the moment you, if you get an overreaction to someone's sin in your life, stop and consider yourself. Stop and look at you. Then if you come out of that clean and the Lord cleans you up and you're all right, then reach over to a brother and say, brother, I want to walk with you out of sin. I've preached that for years since I've been here. Right? All right. My fourth point. People are foolish who think that because God delays punishment, that punish that they'll be forgiven and punishment will never come. Well, if I'll just wait him out. Romans chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. We're still in the second chapter. Third verse now. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Oh, I just keep doing this and doing this and God just never seems to do anything about it. Be careful. I'll tell you why He's not. He's giving you room to repent. He's hoping His mercy will lead you to a place of repentance not an endorsement to continue in your sin. Do not fool yourself into thinking you're going to continue to get by with this and God will never bring judgment against you. I promise you, and I'm going to show you in the Word, I promise you He's bringing judgment. God delays judgment in the hope that sinners will repent. If people are impenitent and continue to sin, then for every sin they'll receive a penalty for the sin. Every trespass, every disobedience is going to receive a biblical term, a recompense of reward. You're going to get what you have not put under. Every sin you've not put under the blood of Jesus Christ and repented of, you're going to get the payment for. It's coming. Oh, it may not be happening right now. It's being held in reserve because what he's appealing to you to a young preacher this morning, not young, old preacher, what he's appealing to you this morning is calling you to a place of, you got me, God. You got me. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 2 says, For the message of God, this is New Living Translation, for the message of God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. He's not looking the other way, people. His, his accounting department, his record-keeping department is better than anyone on human earth. His records are accurate, to a nil. Have you repented? Have you put it under the blood? God's judgment is always righteous. In Genesis 18 verse 5 we, see, we read, For be it, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? This is, this is Abraham. He's, he's negotiating with God over Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's saying to God, please don't destroy the good people with the bad. Aren't you a just God? Aren't you just? Would you protect those who sought to do right? You know what's sad about that story? He goes down. He Finally, God negotiates with him to the point he gets down to 10 people. There's 10. By the way, it was a mega city. It's a large, it's one little farm town. It's a big city for the day. Twin city, Sodom, Gomorrah, massive population. And he says, God, if you could only find 10, would you save the city? God couldn't even find 10 righteous people. And because of his love for Abraham, and because of his arrangement, arrangement with Abraham, he grabs the three, four righteous people. Not enough to have ten, but he grabs the four who he thinks are righteous, who he knows are righteous, and he begins to lead them out of the city, and one of their hearts got turned back. So three escape by the mercy of God. This is a valid question from the mouth of the patriarch Abraham. God is righteous. He is true to His character. 
He will judge righteously. He will not misjudge you, but he will judge what is not put under his blood. Romans chapter 2 and verse 6 says, He will render to everyone according to his works. Works don't matter. Oops. He will render to everyone according to his works. What are you doing? It includes the attitude of the heart, by the way, in the New Testament church. It is not only the behaviors that are going on, but it's the attitude of the heart that's included in the New Testament church. Sad, the, the law said, I've just been teaching this two weeks. It's the, the law said, don't commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The Sermon on the Mount, the new set of commandments says... You have heard that it has been said that a man should not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look upon a woman to lust after you, you, after her, you have committed adultery already in your heart. The law said, thou shalt not murder. I know King James says kill. It's wrong interpretation. It's wrong translation. It says, thou shalt not murder. I say, if you hate your brother, You're a murderer already. Heart matters. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man has come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Revelation 22, 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. Most end-time preachers don't talk too much about this. He said, I'm coming, but I'm coming with recompense to repay each of you for what he has done. Now, some of us, we can shout and dance over that verse. Oh, I'm going to pay days on the way. And some of us go, oh, God, I've got to repent. He's going to pay you for what you've done. He is a faithful paymaster. He's going to pay you for what you've done. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through, the, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law says don't do it. So if you're going to live by the law to try to be saved, if you miss one, you've missed them all. Paul writes that. Finally, Romans chapter 2 verse 11. ESV says, for God shows no partiality. Next verse. For God shows no partiality. Some of you think you're going to bamboozle God when he shows up on judgment day. Well, I'm so smooth with people. People just love me. I can get by with doing some things and people just say, oh, well, that's just him or that's just her. God shows no partiality. You're not going to buffalo him. If you've got sin in your life that is not under the blood of Jesus Christ, it's going to come before him. And you're going to get paid. You're going to get paid. You're going to get paid. God does not favor one person over another. Jews and Gentiles are going to be treated just alike. All will be judged. In addition to all the light the heathen had, the Jews also had the advantage of the law of God revealed through Moses and the prophets. The Jews first in privilege will be first also in responsibility. The Bible says they are the protectors or or, or the caretakers of the law. It does. 
You understand that Paul uses the word law in two different ways in, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And, and, and he's careful to use it. It's a little bit tricky. You've got to be careful in interpreting those texts. But the law in, in the ultimate sense means God's will for any person or anything. He's, though he uses it sometimes to speak of the law in the Old Testament, he, he also uses the word law in that text to also say anytime you disobey God, it is a misuse of the law. The heathen did not have the, the Old Testament, but they did have a partial revelation of God. They knew the will of God. They knew what God expected of men. Their hearts uh, were already in judgment. Their hearts are already being looked at. Even the law, and I've, I've come to this understanding better than ever before, the law was intended to change the hearts of men. It failed. But he wanted the law to create what the New Testament has become. It didn't do it. All have sinned. Anyone who's saved will be saved by the grace and call of God. You're not saved because you're good. You're not saved because your mom and dad were good. You're not saved today because you keep coming to this church. You're saved because of the goodness and grace of God. It's His grace that saved you. It's His call that saved you. It's His ongoing work of grace that's saving you. I know we have this mentality among Pentecostals. Bless God, I was baptized in Jesus' name. I got filled with the Holy Ghost and I'm saved. No, you're not. That opened the door. You must continue to obey and live for him right now to be saved. That's birth, man. That'd be like me. That'd be like my mama giving, bringing me into the world. And everybody says, oh, we got a boy. Benjamin Andrew King. Woo! Valentine's Day. How special is that? And I die. But they keep walking around with me. We got a boy. Born Valentine's Day. You know why we celebrate my birthday? Because I'm still living. I didn't stay an infant. Maybe in my mind, but not the rest of me. I grew up. Some of you are still infants in the spirit. You're still living on Acts 2.38. Bless God, I prayed, I repented of my sins, got baptized in Jesus' name, got filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't tell me I ain't saved. I'm telling you you're not saved. Because he's been talking to you since then, trying to grow you up from infancy to an adult. Paul writes in one place, he says, it's a shame when you, have, when you ought to be teachers that I have to teach you again. Those who hastily conclude that Paul and Jesus teach that the merits of Christ's atonement only apply to those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, have missed the mark. I've preached this church numerous times, and I'm being very clear today, but the blood of Jesus Christ went all the way back to Adam. That blood was efficacious all the way back. We, we, count, we count Abraham saved, right? We count Moses saved, right? We count Isaac and Jacob saved, right? And Jesus wasn't even in the world yet. So the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm trying to prove to you, he's a just God. He, he would be unjust if his blood didn't affect those guys. But he's just because his blood reached all the way back and made things right for them. That's why the scapegoat, in the middle of the book of Exodus, they talk about the scapegoat, big story about scapegoat. All the sins just kept running away, running away, running away. What were they doing? They were, they were leading them all the way to Calvary where the final spotless perfect lamb would die and the blood of Jesus Christ would obliterate all the sins of men or pay the atoning price for all the sins of men. You just got to get your sins under that blood. He paid the price. 
Paul uses this big word in the English we translate it into propitiation. It just means the price was here and he paid the price. <sighs> Let's talk about the Jews for a moment because I'm fearful that the modern church is becoming Jewish. In practice. When Jesus came, God help. When Jesus came into the world, he came to his own church. He didn't come to a false doctrine church. He came to his church. He couldn't stand the leaders of his church. But it was his church. He loved sinners more than he loved the leaders of the church. Mm. Why? Because they'd taken that book he'd given them. And they'd added to it and added to it and added to it and made it so hard that not even they could live it. They admit this in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And, and Paul writes in Romans and says, why are we trying to put this on other people? We couldn't even live it ourselves. Some of you become legalistic. And your religion is outward only. Now, I want to lay a little balance here. There is an outwardness to your walk with God. Your outward man is going to show a separation from the world. Your outward man will demonstrate that you are not like the world. You are different from the world because of the work of God inside of you. But what we as a church evolved to during a season of ministry, and I'm being very broad here, dear God, people are watching this. We got so that it was all about the outside while the inside was full of wickedness. We'd backbite, stab, gossip, talk trash, do wicked things to one another, but bless God. I wear my suit to church. I can't stand so-and-so. I don't even know why God put them in this church. I wish they'd just go on someplace else. I'm going to go out and put uh, tacks under the tires on their car. Things have happened. I wish that was just made up what I just said. It's not. We were wearing masks. And inside we were ravening wolves. This is the way the Pharisees were. This is the way the Sadducees were. Jesus defines it by, like this. I'm sorry I'm preaching so long. Will you guys forgive me? I'm going to make an altar call here in the next little bit. But hear me. He says of them, he said, you honor me with your lips. But your heart is far from me. Now, if you were going to that church, you'd have said, my God, those guys are good. They, they don't do anything wrong. Because you're judging outside. God knows hearts. Outward religion is of no avail without a right heart. The Jews have been designated as God's chosen people, right? You agree? They had the law and were religious teachers of the world. They were teaching the world what God expected, Right? They had all the light of the Gentiles plus the advantage of having the law. In fact, Romans 3, 2, this same text, this Romans 3, 2 says, much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews had the law in their hands. They had the law in their hands. They knew what God, what pleased God. The religious leaders did not follow the light they had. They disobeyed the law they taught. What, what a severe indictment of these chosen people that instead of bringing the heathen nations to God, they brought shame to the name of God. Hear me, Romans 2.24, same area of the scripture. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
wonder what Bloomington thinks of the apostolic church. You already know. Because of you. What's Bloomington going to think of the apostolic church? Because of you. Have we sinned? We've sinned horribly. We brought, a, we brought a gift that was given to us by the hand and glory of God and we've misrepresented it to the world as some legalistic demanding way. And with our sour spirits and vicious hearts we have brought shame to the name of God and the gospel. The apostolic church ought to be the fastest growing church in the world. The apostolic church in Bloomington, Indiana ought to be the fastest growing church in this city. Not because we have an organized program of outreach, but because you are the outreach. And they see the glory of God in your life and see the beauty of his countenance reflected in you. And they're like, I got to know that God. I want him. But we've sent them the wrong message. That's sin. Romans chapter, I read Romans 2.24, circumcision, the sign given to Abraham was of no avail unless the people were truly yielded to God. No outward ceremony could ever replace a right heart. They were, they were in obedience to God with circumcision, but in disobedience to God in their hearts. You can have gone through all of that practice of repentance of sins, being baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, which I believe all of it. We're going to conclude with it. But the fact of the matter is, if your heart is not surrendered to the Lord and you are not yielded to the ongoing work of God to perfect His image in you so that the world sees Christ, He saved you to be a billboard. He didn't save you to go to heaven. Heaven is a byproduct of being the right kind of billboard in the world. He saved you so that you would show the world Christ in you, the hope of glory. What are you showing the world? What are you showing the world? God condemns justly. He, as I've mentioned just one other time, and I mention it to you again in Romans 3, 3 through 8, it says, whatever, what if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if your unrighteousness serves, hear the dialogue going on here with Paul. Paul is, Paul is being devil's advocate for a moment. You with me? He says, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? In other words, if I sin more, doesn't that show how great God is? I know you don't get that. If I sin more and God forgives, isn't that just powerful? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world if the people He's filled with His Spirit and anointed with His glory and covered their sins still live in sin? How could He ever judge the world when His church isn't even in alignment? For if through my lie God's truths abound, so is glory, to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just? Well, we'll just sin a little so we show the world how forgiving God is. You're warped. All the reasons for the condemnation of the Gentiles applies to the Jews as well. Jews are not escaping this. 
The Jews had the additional advantage of the revelation of God's will through Moses and the prophets. They had the added light that came with it and the responsibility to carry it to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, Paul writes. Was it true both in privilege and in responsibility? The basic truth is that God is righteous. He will deal justly with every one of you. How are your works? I conclude, stand across the building, and I'm sorry I've preached so long. Forgive me. I did, I did not think I would preach long today. I tell you again, everybody's under sin. I didn't say you were actively sinning. I said you're under sin. Everybody is. We're living in a sinful world. The world, the world he did not lobotomize you when, he, when you came into his kingdom. You, you still got your thoughts. You still got your, there's, there's attraction. The world is an attraction thing. The things of the world are attractive. They are. I wish they weren't, but they are. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, the apostle compiles a chain of scripture to describe the depraved condition of the Jew and the Gentile. The will of God and the law has revealed that the whole world stands guilty before God. We're all guilty. I know some of you, 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 you think, well, not me. You were the very one. You were the very one. The will of God in the law is revealed that the whole world stands guilty before God. As a mirror tells us that our face is dirty, so the law reveals that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 This just tells you you are what you are. As the mirror is powerless to wash the face, so the law has no power to save you. You can't be saved by obedience to the law. Not going to work. Sinners have no power to save themselves. I'll just do better. I'll do better. It's not going to work. You must experience the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not want to punish sin. I grew up thinking that he joyed in punishing sin. I, I, I grew up with the mentality that God just couldn't wait for, to catch me. When he finally got judgment day, he was just pushing to get judgment day so he could nail me. He doesn't want to punish sin. That's why he died. That's why he was resurrected. He wants to get you into the plan of salvation and remove the punishment of sin from your life. That's why he came. He wants to save. He's provided a way for sinful people to be justified, to be made right with Him. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the way that you get to be made right with Him. But the gospel is an ongoing, continuing work of Jesus Christ in us. The declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes alive in our lives by yieldedness and identifying with the Lord Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection through His plan of salvation. It's not that we believe you must accept Christ. We certainly believe the scripture would lead us to believe that you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. You've got, you, why would you even come if you don't believe? But it is more than just believing because there are many believers who never change. You must move beyond belief and begin to act. These are not your works now. These are the works of God in you and through you. We read of them in this initial stage in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Thank God he sent Peter to preach. And Peter said to them, repent 
And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He's still calling this morning. And he will continue to call until the time of his, dis- of his deciding to discontinue the call. Our response to the act of Jesus Christ, our response to his work at Calvary, our response to all the labor he went through to birth us into his kingdom is that we must repent. That's a big word. That's an old word we don't use today in the average language. So what does repent mean, pastor, that I come up to the altar and I start crying and boohooing and telling God my sins? That's kind of it, but that's not it. Repentance is the turnaround where you quit doing the things you've been doing that displeased God. That is true repentance. It's when He he delivers us through that from our sins and disobedience and then to be baptized by the church, the leaders of the church. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, which Paul writes and says, it puts his name on us, and now we're part of his family. And then he gloriously fills us by his own choosing. We don't have the power to give you the Holy Ghost. That is his alone. But he will fill you with his spirit. And because of the book of Acts, we know the evidence of that is you began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gives utterance it's not I know some of you because you've been maybe you've heard of Pentecost and that we freak people out and we mess with their hair and we do all kinds of things to them speaking with tongues is as simple as you and Jesus I was praying for a woman in, in, uh, on Wednesday night two weeks ago in Scotland one of the ladies in the church met her at the bus stop brought her to church the lady came up to me I was praying in the altar with people this woman never left her, her pew she was on the front pew but she, she never left it woman came to me and said, would you go pray for her? I said, sure. Walked through. I could see the glory of God all over. I laid my hands on her head, and, and, and she began to, to talk a little. And I looked at her. I said, raise your hands if you would, if you're not embarrassed. You, I, I promise you, everybody here is okay with this. She raised her hands. I said, do you feel this? She said, oh, yeah, I feel it. I said, that's Jesus. What you feel right now is Jesus. She goes, I know. I said, he wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And I watched as her tongue just got thicker and thicker. She, she was having trouble talking. But she didn't know what was going on. And I said to her, I said, that's the Holy Ghost. Don't worry about it. Just let it happen. And she didn't come bombastic. I, I was hoping, she, you know, we'd have a big display so I could brag about it. But she just began to talk. Just her and I could really hear. And the woman who brought her kind of, I told her, I said, come here, you need to hear this. And she began to just speak in tongues as the Spirit of the Lord fills her with the Spirit. Ever so graceful? Well, that was cool. As he filled her with the Holy Ghost. Now, some of you, because you got lots of pride, he's going to make you roll the floor and jump pews and all that. I'm kidding. He's going to do with you what you need. But you're going to have so much joy, you won't know what to do with it all. When he fills you with his Spirit. I'm calling you this morning, this afternoon. Forgive me for my long preaching. But you're a sinner. And if you've not repented of your sin, if you've not been baptized in Jesus' name, you must come and be made right with the Lord. If you've done all those things, but you're living a life of sin, I implore you to come to Jesus Christ. And people, 
let's get over the idea that somebody's going to label you because you came up here to pray. Can I tell you, you already have a big label. It's on your forehead. It says sinner. So we're done. We all know who we are. Respond to the call of the Holy Ghost right now as I open this altar and Brother Seth begins to sing. Obey the Lord in this next few moments and respond to him. If you feel the call of the Lord, come to this altar and begin to talk to him right where you're at. If you're a guest here today, we thank you for being here. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. If, if you're done and you're ready to go, we thank you for coming. Come again. We'd love to have you here with us. Otherwise, come talk to the Lord. If, if you're not one needing to be in a place of repentance, would you come and pray with somebody in this place? And just simply join them and lay your hands on their shoulder and, and, and pray with them as the Spirit of the Lord would move today. Talk to Jesus. This is you and the Lord right here, right now.